Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with your hosts, Aaron Holtz and Kyle Mayorana. Aaron is a holistic nutritionist and yoga teacher on the seacoast of New Hampshire. Kyle is a registered dietitian in Asheville, North Carolina, and we are both studying functional nutrition. This means we work collaboratively with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, wellness, food and nutrition, discussing our clinical experience, life experience, and what we're currently studying. We hope you enjoy it as much as we do. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Hey. Hey. (laughs) We're recording. (laughs) Um, We don't have anything interesting to bring to the table this week. Um, So we're just going to kind of pick up where we left off. Uh, The last two episodes, we touched upon some potentially unhealthy ways to attempt weight loss. So that was in our fad diets and our detox episodes. Uh, If you haven't listened to them, you can go check them out now. But it kind of begs the question, okay, well, what is the healthy way to attempt weight loss? So that's what we're going to tackle today. We really can't talk about weight loss without talking about dieting. And dieting to many of us equates with a lot less food, a lot less calories, and a lot more gym time, usually in the form of cardio. And obviously here I'm speaking in generalizations, but it's kind of the basic gist for most of us. We have a very Western mentality of if some is good, more is better. I recently had a client who was working out most days of the week and eating around 1,000 calories a day. So yeah, we're not bringing up the whole dieting thing here to prove a point, but because it's actually happening. Remember that we are in the trenches with people, so we're talking about things that we're actually seeing versus just theory. Oftentimes I'll hear, I'm doing everything right, but I'm not getting results. It's pretty typical for for people to feel that way. And many of us have been doing this for as long as we can remember. I started dieting at age 12 and I've had clients that started even younger than that, if you can imagine that, just like babies. Um, People are following what the government and the media and the dieting industry have told us is the right way because let's be honest, they've all colluded in this message, but it's not working. So let's start to unpack that a little bit. Why isn't it working, right? If we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing, why isn't it working? Um, So we're going to start by talking about the C word. (gasps) Erin. Calories. Oh, okay. Still a dirty word though. Still (laughs) a dirty word. (laughs) (laughs) So do calories matter, right? It's kind of the burning question. We all know about calories in, calories out. We all kind of live and breathe by this theory that looks at what you're consuming, right? The energy you're taking in versus the energy you're expending throughout the day through daily activities and exercise. Now, according to this idea, if you want to lose weight, you need a negative energy balance. So that's taking in fewer calories than you expend. And to gain weight, you need a positive energy balance taking in more than you expend. So pretty simple, straightforward stuff. I want to start off here by defining what a calorie is. So like really take it from the top because we're all running around talking about this word that we don't fully comprehend. 
calorie is the amount of energy needed to raise the temperature of one gram of water by one degree Celsius. So that's that's it. It's just a unit of energy. And it, to me, seems like a rather arbitrary way to decide how to eat. And for someone that is tracking their every morsel of food, counting calories, weighing and measuring their food, portioning out their food, which really are all just ways of tracking calories without involving actual numbers, the last thing that they want is arbitrary, right? They're looking for clear, specific, well-thought-out solutions. But the calories in, calories out thing isn't really that. And the reason for it is that calorie counts are averages. So the way we figure out how many calories a food contains, we put it in something called a bomb calorimeter and we watch the temperature change pretty much. Um, Remember, it's just a unit of energy, so we're measuring that energy. And this spits out, let's say we were to measure an almond, this is going to spit out an average, um, an average calorie amount. And so what we're doing is we're taking all of those averages throughout the day and we're adding them up. And this creates a pretty inaccurate number. And we're doing the same thing when we calculate how many uh, calories we're expending too. For the most part, it's an average. So we're kind of like living and breathing and eating by these, these average calorie counts. And on top of that, processing affects um, how many calories are absorbed from food. So for example, you don't absorb all the energy from whole almonds. Your body doesn't access all that energy, but you do from almond butter after the almonds have been ground up, which is kind of interesting. There's more energy from the fat that's available to your body. So how a food is uh, processed impacts how many calories you can get from that food. And on top of that, your gut health can affect the amount of calories you absorb from your food as well. So if you've got bang on gut health, like if your gut is humming along and your digestion's great, you're going to be able to extract more nutrition from your food. Um, and then obviously the flip side of the, the, the coin is true too. And your microbiota, which is the bacteria that live in your gut, they actually have, these bacteria have the ability to harvest calories from your food. So point is, there's a lot more to the picture here than, than um, we think. It's about more than just calories in, calories out. That is based on a closed system, and a bomb calorimeter is a closed system. It's literally a closed system. But our bodies and our environments are very much so not closed systems. Um, When I teach lectures, I have this slide, and it's I call it the supercomputer and was looking at the body and all the different components of the body and the systems of the body and how they talk to each other and then how they also communicate with our environment and how our environment communicates with us. The slide is like completely crazy. There's like a hundred different arrows <laughs> like moving in all directions, but it gets the point across is that we are complex systems and we interact with our environment. We are not closed systems. I do think that calories matter. But other things matter as well. For example, hormones, your metabolism, what processes are going on inside your body. So to just look at one metric, calories, it really doesn't tell the whole story at all. So to say I need X amount of calories a day, like I need 1,500 calories a day, it just doesn't make any sense. Your activity level isn't the same every day. Your sleep isn't the same. Your mood isn't the same. I think what we all really need to do is get to a point where we're responding to our hunger rather than this arbitrary, calculated, probably inaccurate number. Yes. Yeah. And in clinical dietetics in that world, we have 
ways of taking things like your activity level, if there's an injury, say from a surgery, an infection or a wound, even if you have a fever, we use all these different variables when we're trying to figure out how much energy someone needs. And it's still just an educated guess. We're using information from one point in time and all these things I mentioned, activity, injuries, a fever, none of that's permanent. It changes day to day. So when you think about all these moving pieces and then think of trying to eat the same amount of calories every day, it really just doesn't make a lot of sense. Those things are always changing. So the amount of energy you need is going to do the same thing. And I know I'm referring to an acute situation where there's obviously more stress in the body. But my point is that everything isn't constant from one day to the next and your needs aren't either. And to take things a step further from just thinking about how much energy you need, it's super important to recognize that not all energy is created equal. Right. Uh, good point. A calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie. Right. Source source matters. Um, the, the example that I always use is a, a small sweet potato and four teaspoons of sugar because they both have roughly 60 calories. So the same amount of calories. But the sweet potato has B vitamins. It has minerals like magnesium, iron, copper, zinc, all of these things that are needed to metabolize the sweet potato, metabolize the carbohydrate, whereas sugar doesn't contain any of that, right? It's just the calories. Um, so it's essentially a nutritional withdrawal on the body because it pulls the body's stores in order to metabolize it. So just keep in mind, it's not a closed system, right? It's not as simple as throwing food into a bomb calorimeter. I'm going to talk about metabolism in a little bit, but just understand that there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes in your body. It's kind of like drawing back the curtain on the great and powerful Oz and realizing it's just like a regular guy sweating his balls off trying to make the magic happen. It's like, I don't know if that's like a, it's a, that's a good analogy. That's a great analogy. That's just like what came in my brain. I see it. Okay, good. Um, And when we're focused on just calories, we're usually just focused on macronutrients too. And um, when we only think of food as carbohydrates, fat, and protein, because these are the things that contain calories, we're missing some really important stuff. Real nutrition comes from micronutrients. That's vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants. The World Health Organization refers to micronutrients as magic wands, which I love, um, that enable the body to produce enzymes, hormones, and other substances essential for proper growth and development. And the consequences of their absence are severe. We need these things in order to thrive. Our mitochondria need micronutrients in order to provide energy for our cells and regulate metabolism with our nutrient-poor, highly refined standard American diet, we're starved for micronutrients. And oftentimes with chronic dieting, you're not getting enough micronutrients simply because you're not getting enough calories. We need calories in order to get micronutrients. That's the point that I really want to drive home to people. It's kind of like what we talked about um, in the in our detox show, right? Uh Calories are the vehicles for which nutrients ride in on. If you're not eating enough calories, you're not getting enough nutrition to drive cellular processes, to drive metabolism, to make hormones, to function optimally. We've learned to become scared of calories. That's why I called it a bad word. 
or to only eat foods with the least amount of calories. Again, it's that message put out there by diet culture, by the media, and by our government, and honestly, even some well-meaning nutrition professionals. But we need a reframe. Calorie restriction equals nutrient restriction. In this, really getting this, like getting this idea in my head was one of the ways that I started to recover from my eating disorder. It was one of the ways that I was able to truly quit dieting when I saw that calorie restriction equals nutrient restriction. I was like, okay, I can get behind eating more food and eating more calories because I know it's feeding my body on on such a, a deep level. There really is more to nutrition than just weight loss, guys. But that's the lens that we're taught to look at it through. When the focus is on macros and calories, our bodies can actually become starved for real nutrition. And then on top of that, restricting calories lower than our BMR. So let me pause for a moment and tell you, BMR is the basal metabolic rate. It's basically how many calories your body requires just to exist, like just to lie in bed all day and blink your eyes. That's that's how many, uh, that's what your basal, basal metabolic rate is. And if we're restricting calories below this, that is 100% starvation diet. I don't care what anybody says, that is starving your body. And the basal metabolic rate for the average woman is somewhere, and again, this is an average, but somewhere between 12 to 1,500 calories. So the average woman needs 12 to 1,500 calories to just exist. Dramatic, yeah. dramatic. I know. Pause. I was like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> was like, oh man, I, I was like, how long stuff. can I can I can I drag this pause out? <laughs> Two minutes later. <laughs> So this obviously leads me to the 1,200 calories a day myth. And you know this myth. If you're listening, I know you know this myth. Because as women, it's been imprinted on us since day one. 1,200 calories sort of hangs in our brain as this like holy grail of diet goals. Most of us believe that this is the ideal caloric intake to be sustained. I mean, I know I did for probably the majority of my life. Yep, same. Okay, so I'm not making this up. 1,200 calories is how much most of us need in order to keep our bodies from shutting down. And there is a huge difference between eating sufficient calories to not die and eating to thrive. 1,200 calories is a starvation diet. This makes me think, think of the um, the RDA, the recommended daily allowances for vitamins and minerals, because those amounts are just what you need in order to prevent disease caused by a nutrient deficiency. They are mm -hmm. not the optimal amounts for each person. It's just the amount needed to get by. So coasting along on minimal calories and minimal nutrients is going to feel a heck of a lot different than actually fueling your body with what it needs for optimal function and energy. Yeah, that's that's such a good point. We're not looking to just like prevent rickets and scurvy. scurvy. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> Seriously. we gotta like step it up a little bit. Um, but despite all of that, we're still seeing low calorie diets being promoted, like in popular ones. Dieting is a sixty billion dollar industry. That's billion with a B. Billion. I heard recently that gym memberships are. Um, at an all-time high, so we have access to more types of fitness than ever before. Clearly, diets are moving off the shelves at an alarming rate, and yet 
obesity rates are at an all-time high. I think the current stat is somewhere between 40 to 50% of Americans are mm-hmm. are obese right now, which is staggering. That is staggering. Um, and one out of two Americans has a chronic disease. And I bring that up because even if you look a certain way, that doesn't tell us what's going on underneath the hood, right? Something isn't working here. We're doing the diets. We're eating less. We're exercising more. We're doing the whole everything in moderation thing. But it's not creating the sustainable change that we need. And that's because this cultural and societal program we, programming we've received isn't based on sound science. It's based on diet culture rhetoric. And we have people continuing to promote it left and right. So as long as that keeps up, we're going to continue to break down why these diets are failing us. Yep. So with that, let's look specifically at what happens if you do eat too few calories. All right. So you might actually lose weight at first, but you probably won't maintain it. So I think... Anytime you shake things up, whether it's by reducing calories or changing the food, like you're going to see see a difference. That's why people can go on an Atkins diet and people can go on a vegan diet and both can see weight loss or both can see change. It's because even though they're completely different diets, you're, you're shaking things up a little bit, right? But if you stay on a low-calorie diet, you won't be able to maintain that weight loss and you might even start to gain it back. While a slight caloric deficit can lead to sustainable weight loss, and we will get into calorie specifics later on, much more than that will cause a downregulation of your metabolism in order to keep your body in balance. So low-calorie diets can actually slow down your metabolism. Our bodies have a lot of built-in defense mechanisms. Um, Our bodies, as just physiological beings, want to stay alive. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes to keep us alive, even if we're not aware that they might be happening. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to take action. They're just happening. And our metabolism is one such thing. The reason for it, as our species evolved, food wasn't always available. We've talked about this on the show before. We live in an age where there's food everywhere all the time. So it might be hard to wrap our heads around, but historically, food wasn't just a given. So in times of food scarcity, our metabolism would essentially slow down in order to decrease our energy output. So if we didn't have food coming in, our bodies would respond by decreasing energy output, which means decreasing the calories that we burn. Your body just wants to keep you alive. That's what it's doing, constantly trying to bring you back to homeostasis, despite what we we try to do to it in the modern day. So if you think about it with some context, which is why we created this podcast in the first place, to try to give you guys some context and some backstories as to why things are the way they are, then it helps to understand why restricting calories can backfire in the long run. We have the same bodies that we did thousands of years ago. The only thing that has changed is our environment. So our biological response to our environment is the same, meaning if you undereat calories, that sends the message to your body and to your brain that food supply is low, that starvation is a real potential, and then your body will respond by slowing things down. It will conserve energy. Remember, your body is your best friend. It just wants to support you. It doesn't really care whether or not you look like Giselle in a bikini. And whenever I talk about this, I always think of a Nikita Gill poem. So I'm going to read it right now. Please be gentle with your body. It loves you more than anyone or anything in this world. It fixes every cut, 
every wound, every broken bone, and fights off so many illnesses, sometimes without you even knowing about it. Even when you punish it, it is still there for you, struggling to keep you alive, keep you breathing. Your body is an ocean full of love, so please be kind to it. It's doing the very best it can. Oh, I love that. I feel like everyone needs to use that 15 second rewind button and just listen to that again and really try to hear it. I didn't even know about that 15 second. Yeah, it's on the it's on the phone. It's on the app, man. Hit Hit it it and quit it. Uh, Don't quit it, though. Keep listening. (laughs) I just wanted to say that because it sounded super cool. Don't hit hit that. (laughs) Okay. All right. So food is information. It's not just nutrition. It tells the body a lot about it, about the environment that you're in. Whole foods, good quality fats, ample calories, all of these signal to the body that the environment is safe. But if calories drop too low, then this tells our body it's not safe and our body will change energy out. This is a neuroendocrine adaptation to chronic dieting. And remember, it's your body's way of protecting you. So messages will be sent to your brain telling it to eat more. So that's where cravings come from. You'll also uh, feel a decreased desire to move, which as an underactive society, since we sit down most of the day and then maybe like move our bodies an hour a day if that, this isn't really a good thing. And I actually consider movement to be a nutrient in and of itself. I'm a huge fan of biomechanist Katie Bowman. So you can go look her up and look at her work and read her blogs if you want to hear more about this. But the point being is we don't want to move the needle further in the wrong direction, right? We want to provide our bodies adequate calories and nutrition so it's energized to move, not so it's like, you know, we don't want to decrease food. So we're like slowing things down. That's essentially what's happening. Another issue is that when you cut calories too low, it sets you up for thyroid issues, adrenal issues, hormonal issues, fertility issues. When you drastically slash calories, your body responds by reducing your overall caloric output. So I've said that a few times. But the ways that it does this is by essentially halting some of your body systems. So it will reduce active thyroid hormone. These are hormones that drive metabolism. Um, There'll be some change in adrenal hormones, which then actually further blocks thyroid activity raises stress hormones like cortisol, slows or stops the production of sex hormones. A low-calorie diet and too low body fat can lead to amenorrhea, which means missed period, other menstrual irregularities, and infertility. And we actually had a listener write in telling us that while she was on the Isogenics Nutritional Cleansing Program, which is one of the diets we talked about in a previous show, which is super restrictive on calories, she actually lost her period within three months of the program. Now, whether or not you have any intention of having children is actually irrelevant here. Fertility is a mark of health. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists actually advocate for making menses, menstruation, the sixth vital sign in addition to body temp, pulse, blood blood pressure, respiratory rate, and weight, all of those things that the doctor checks every time you go in. Because menstrual cycle changes can be as useful to predict potential health problems as any of those other markers, which is pretty, pretty crazy. 
Um, so if something affects your menstruation, that is something to pay attention to. And if you stop menstruating on a food plan, that is a really big deal. Again, independent of your desire or lack of desire to procreate. So the point here is if you dramatically drop calories or you're eating under your BMR, your body changes how it burns fuel so it can match that drop in calories. This is not a good thing for our overall health and it can also contribute to stalled weight loss and body fat retention. So that means you need to continue to do more exercise and eat less in order to maintain any weight loss you've achieved. Yeah, I just read a study that looked at energy needs of people who had been yo-yo dieting for a long time compared to people who have remained around the same weight for most of their adult life just by listening to their hunger and fullness cues and, and really like just not dieting. The study found that the calories were something like 2,000, the needs for the people who whose weight history was essentially stable and didn't diet, though they had around 2,000 calories. But for the people that kept going on diets, they only needed 1,600 calories. So if you Whoa. Fit, yeah, it's a huge so difference. The so the chronic dieters actually needed significantly less calories. Absolutely. And if you fit in this category of this long history with dieting and weight fluctuations, I would absolutely not recommend another weight loss program because they're messing up your metabolism so much that you could having to have end up having to eat a lot less than someone else who's the same weight as you just so that you can maintain that weight all because of your dieting history. So when you're constantly dieting and restricting, your body can't trust and depend on you to provide it with the energy that it needs and wants. So the long-term result is not going to be continued weight loss. After a while, your body's going to react to the restriction by holding on to what it has to conserve energy, which is when you hit the plateau or you just start gaining the weight back. So you have to remember that your body can't tell the difference between a diet and starvation. Totally true. Undereating is an absolute physical stressor to the body um, for some of the reasons that I talked about and for what you you just mentioned. But like you're also saying, dieting in the act of tracking calories is a mental stressor too. I think of it as like uh, dieting as a metaphorical bear that gets us in fight or flight mode. When we When we sit down to eat, we're supposed to be in rest and digest mode. This is what allows us to extract nutrition from the food we eat. But when we overthink, analyze, and count each time we eat or think about food, our body responds as though it's being chased by a bear, right? It pushes us into that fight or flight response. Some of us are so used to it that we don't even realize that it's happening. Um, Constantly triggering that fight or flight mode can call on cortisol more than our bodies are equipped to handle, affecting the adrenal glands, the thyroid glands, the hormones, exacerbating all the issues that I just talked about. And it can also dramatically affect blood sugar. Chronically elevated cortisol can also lead to insulin resistance, which can eventually lead to leptin resistance, causing the body to store fat. Now, this is a pretty extreme example, but I just want to highlight here that the psychological toll of dieting really can't be overlooked. Yeah. So we talked about low calorie diets and what that can do to your body. So let's start to talk about how many calories do you even need? Okay. So that's the million dollar question. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's no easy answer. 
determining individual caloric needs is really challenging because context matters here. Genetics, physical activity, muscle mass, stress levels, sleep habits, digestion, gut health, history of chronic disease, these are all going to factor into what your unique body requires. And honestly, guys, this is why my nutrition programs don't have meal plans. Mm -hmm. There are, yeah, you know, there are sample day suggestions, but the real work is up to you to figure out what works for your own body. Um, I read something recently, the greatest teacher will send you back to yourself. And that is so true of all my great teachers, right? They encourage me to go inside, to listen to myself. And so what I aim to do in my practice and with my nutrition programs is send people back to themselves. I can't tell you what to eat. Nobody can do that. But I can give you the tools to start to figure that out for yourself. And that's why it's not a quick fix, right? I could give you a 1,200 or 1,500 or an 1,800 calorie diet to follow to the letter. But what good is that going to do for you? What's that going to teach you? I mean, I wish I could just tell everybody to eat good food and worry less about calories and just click call it an episode. <laughs> but I know that calorie counting is a really tough thing for people to give up, especially if you've been doing it for a while. There's a lot of anxiety there to just kind of like throw it away. So a lot of us, we, we like rules, right? So I, we do want to give you guys some general starting points. And I'm giving them to you with one caveat. You must tweak these to fit your own specific body in your own specific situation. So we'll talk about calories for weight loss. Um, for some people, weight loss is necessary for optimum health. Like we can't get around that. But for others, weight loss efforts are actually incongruent with optimal health. If you fall into the latter camp, you might find that your body resists your weight loss attempts or that it's getting harder and harder to lose or maintain your weight. And this is because your body wants to prioritize your health over these arbitrary beauty standards. And I'm also going to add here that if you've been on a lot of diets or you're constantly trying to lose weight or you over-exercise, basically the chronic dieter that Kyle was just talking about, you might actually need some metabolic support and repair before you can start to lose weight. If you feel like you're doing everything right and you still can't lose weight, I suggest spending anywhere between three to six months trying to correct your metabolism. And this might be done with a practitioner. Um, that might be the best way to approach it. And you can absolutely contact me through my website if this is something you guys think you need help with. But I'd actually do this first before reducing your calories or you run the risk of making things worse through that protective uh, metabolism mechanism that I discussed earlier. But that's not going to be the case for any everybody. Um, so if you're looking to lose weight and you actually have significant weight to lose, first start by switching over to a whole real food diet. I'm not the one to tell you to eat everything in moderation uh, because the foods that are provided by our government and our food system are hyper palatable, nutrient poor, man-made non-foods that mess up the neuroregulation of our appetite. So this means that they tell our brains to eat more and tell our brains to store more fat. So we're fighting a losing battle. So I believe that we need to get that stuff out of there, then that's really the starting point. The second step is to make sure that you're moving your body daily, not necessarily with the calorie burn mindset, but simply because your body requires movement. Think of it as more, this is an input my genes expect. So for my body to step into optimum function, I need to move it. And then three, 
evaluate your relationship to stress. And I think this piece is so, so overlooked. But if your body is under chronic stress, it might not release weight no matter what you do dietarily. That's very true. I would say number four is definitely sleep. Yes. Uh, yeah. So just like stress. Maybe that's number one. I don't even know. I know maybe right? that's number that, one. It's a big one. And one of the most important things to focus on before you try and address losing weight is your sleep. This might be the only thing you work on over that three to six month period trying to correct your metabolism mm -hmm. because lack of sleep leads to weight gain. So there's been studies that have shown people who sleep less than six hours a night are more likely to weigh more than those sleeping eight hours. Poor sleep increases your insulin secretion after a meal, which is bad because high levels of insulin, which is a hormone, causes your body to store more fat. Poor sleep is also associated with lower levels of leptin, and that's your hormone that tells your brain when you're full, and higher levels of ghrelin, which is the hormone that tells your brain when you're hungry. This is why when you're not sleeping well, you can feel hungrier and end up eating more because your satiety hormone levels are lower and your hunger hormone levels are higher. So just like we said in the detox episode about the need to get your gut health in check before you start focusing on improving your detoxification, you really need to make sure you're sleeping enough before you start focusing on losing weight. Dramatic pause for effect. <laughs> Another two-minute pause. Hit that hit that 15-second <laughs> button, you guys. Go listen to that one again. Um, I can – this is so true. I mean, we all just know that from experience. When you're tired, you want to eat all the things. Hattie has been waking up at the crack all week, and I just – I can't stop eating. I'm eating yep. everything. Everything that's not nailed down, putting it in my pie hole. Um, but that's – I mean, it's totally because of sleep. It really matters that much. Um all right, so if you've done all that, those four steps that we just listed out, then the next step might be to pay attention to calories. Like I said before, a slight caloric deficit can lead to sustainable weight loss. This would mean getting a deficit of somewhere between three to 500 calories a day from your normal intake. And that's assuming that you're not already under eating. Yeah, and typically we don't recommend that calorie deficit to only come from diet. So say the goal is a 500 calorie a day deficit. We would recommend you take two to 300 of that from your diet and the rest from exercise because slashing 500 calories a day from your diet alone is hard and not something that most people can or should maintain for the long term. So if you're restricting even more than that, and exercising on top of it, things can backfire after a while and you might hit a plateau or stop losing altogether because like what we talked about earlier, your body just ends up hanging onto its resources more if you keep trying to restrict and burn more calories all the time. It's also why a lot of the times you hear people say after they went off a diet, they regained what they lost and then some. It's like this little insurance policy for your body. It puts a little extra on because it's not quite sure if you're just going to turn around again and start restricting and going on another diet. Yeah, that's a really good point. And your body loves you. That's why it does that. And we know that 80% of folks who go on a diet and lose the weight gain it back. 80%. That's because diets don't work. Um, in general, 
I don't like to see active women dip below 1800 calories per day. And again, that's kind of arbitrary, right? And it's an average, but I don't really like to see. I think it's hard to get the nutrition your body needs under 1800 calories a day, especially if you're active and you're moving your body. This figure is geared toward weight loss. So this is not maintenance. Remember, 1800 calories for weight loss. If you're looking to maintain your weight, that number should increase. Now, if you are extremely sedentary and or have a really small frame, this number will probably be lower. I hesitate to even say the the sedentary thing because I don't recommend an extremely sedentary lifestyle unless you're limited by pregnancy complications, an injury, a chronic illness, something like that. And in those cases, your caloric needs might be increased anyway. So you can start to see why this is so tricky to pinpoint the the exact number. All right. So for weight maintenance, um, what I usually... I don't, I don't really calculate calories, to be honest with you guys, for myself or my clients, like ever. But if for those of you that are looking for numbers, you can take your body weight, your current body weight, and multiply it by 14, and take your body weight and multiply it by 17. So you'll get two figures, and somewhere in between these numbers is a rough estimate of your daily caloric needs um, in order to maintain your current body weight. The lower side is for less active individuals, and the higher side is going to be for more active if you exercise often, you actually might need to increase this number. Um, this is this is just a calculation that I pulled from a couple different resources, but I do like the numbers that it spits out. Kyle, I know you guys in the hospital use um, different types of calculations. So do you want to give us some other ideas? Maybe just so people that, you know, if they are counting calories, they can kind of cross-reference a few different numbers to get a good average. Yeah, so there are a lot of different methods. Um, there really, really are for that you'd use in different situations. And again, they're all really just averages and educated guesses. Um, so I think using something like you did the the range for the fourteen to seventeen um, is just it's just really easier for a lot of people. I used what we use in the hospital with, which is an equation called the Mifflin Saint Gior. Or MSJ. MSJ. <laughs> um, and you use activity factors. So the things that I mentioned earlier, the activity factors, the injury factors, if you have a fever, like everything is counted. The, the normal MSJ is just going to get you that, you know, amount you need to lie in bed and blink. And what I ended up getting was, I think, more on like the high end of that 14 to 17 um, range that you mentioned. So it in there, but it just goes to show, I mean, none of them are perfect. You're, you're going to be able to get a different number with every single calculation. Which kind of just reinforces the what we're saying, that this is all an average anyway. Yeah, um, just stop calculating. <laughs> I'll link to that. If I can find that one, I'll link to it in the show notes if, if anyone wants to poke around. I always find that when they ask activity level, it's so hard. I'm like, am I, mm-hmm. like, where do I fit in that? You know, it's it's kind of hard to know. Again, it's just, it's just an estimate. But the typical for just like the normal like activities of daily living is multiplying that number by 1.5 if anyone is curious. Oh, okay. So if you're doing doing anything more than that then that's gonna that's gonna be a higher number so uh gtk all right if you track calories so you can cross-reference your typical daily intake with these numbers just to see is it much lower adjust accordingly as you saw eating too little isn't going to help you achieve your weight or your health goals if it's higher that's pretty telling too 
But I will say that most women who come to my practice are eating too little, not too much. Um, I think I think maybe almost every woman that comes to my practice, um, and that, I, obviously that's not indicative of the entire country, but the people that come to me are are health minded and they're trying to do the right things and they're listening to all the messages that they receive, and they're they're not eating a lot of food. So. I think I think tracking your calories is mind numbing. I think it can be really triggering for some people. I think it can be a disaster. I know some people hate it. I know some people love it. But sometimes I suggest doing it just for a couple of days because it can give you insight into your situation, right? I just consider it information gathering. Many of us have a completely skewed view of what and how much food we need to thrive. So punching punching your daily intake into into a um, a tracker like my fitness pal is gonna is gonna give you the number you know a number to to work with. What I say to do is write out so take a day or take two days and write out every single thing you eat like down to the detail because the, you have to get really detailed when you're entering them in. Don't do it as you go. So don't like enter it into my fitness pal as you go through your day because getting that immediate feedback can alter the intake that you make throughout the day, you know, it can alter the food that you would eat and you want to get like a really accurate, accurate snapshot. So write out the things and then, and then, um, put them into the system after the fact. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, ultimately though, I would encourage you to not focus on the tracking or the numbers or the portions. And in fact, I feel so strongly about this. I wrote a whole blog post about it either last year or the year before. And I'm going to link to it in the show notes because I I still stand by everything I wrote. Um, When you're solely focused on the numbers, you tend to approach food as does this fit my calories versus does this contribute to my health or how does this make me feel? When you eat according to calories or specific portions, you're teaching yourself to ignore your body. And the majority of us need to do the exact opposite opposite of this. We need to learn how to listen to our body. So focus instead on good inputs, on building a good plate, on seeing how your body feels and performs with adequate food. No diet is going to show you how much you should be eating. Only you can do that. Okay. So how do you know if you should be losing weight in the first place? Like what if you keep trying and trying and it's just not budging or your weight keeps going back to where it was after you finish each diet? So there's actually a theory behind this and it's called the set point theory. So this theory was trying to basically come up with a reason behind why repeated dieting led to unsuccessful long-term results for some people. And the theory is that each body has an internal regulation of energy intake and energy expenditure in order to maintain a certain amount of body fat that it believes is the right amount for homeostasis. So just like your thermostat at home automatically kicks in when the temperature drops too low or it turns off when it gets too high, the set point theory is basically saying that you have this internal thermostat that has a weight it's most comfortable at. And when you try to go below that, it will ramp down energy expenditure and ramp up your hunger in order to get you back to that weight. So this is a very simplistic way of looking at things, kind of like implying your adult weight is predetermined and there's nothing you can do to shift it in either direction. But I do think there's some merit to the concept because I think we all know somebody who always seems to weigh around the same weight without not without giving it much effort or thought. And we also know somebody who is on the other end of the spectrum 
always dieting and working out and their weight never seems to budge. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here and use myself as an example because I can certainly attest to this. And, you know, I wonder how much is set point. Like, these are all just theories, right? It's not like we have all Mm -hmm. the answers. How much of it is set point theory? How much of it is metabolic compensation that I was talking about earlier? You know, is there two things at play here? There's a lot more things at play. But for myself, I know that there is a range. It's like about, you know, 10 to 15 pounds, give or take. But there is a range that I just kind of sit at. And I really don't have to do much to achieve it. Now, you guys know, if you follow me on Instagram, you see what I eat. I I'm, I eat a uh, whole foods diet. But I can kind of just hang out at a certain weight just by eating whatever. And by when I say whatever, it's a real foods diet and then moving my body when I feel like it. In order to get below that, I have to put in a significant amount of effort. I have to move my body a lot. I have to be really, really mindful about my food choices, like maybe a little too mindful for me. Um, And in order to get above that, I would have to like just really eat a lot of food, like a lot of food because I eat a lot as it is. So it's just kind of I can I can definitely see that in my own my own body, my own system. Same. I it is the exact same way for me. And I've had I've had friends, you know, kind of comment about that. And and it, you know, granted, I do eat a fairly healthy diet to begin with. So I mean, like, I'm not eating, you know, a lot of processed food. But yeah, I mean, I can I can not work out for a little while. And and it still kind of just stays in the same place. So I do think there's some merit to that. But But I'll also say that 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 wasn't the case for me when I was dieting a lot. My weight went up and down and up and down like really significantly. So yeah, it was only once you got off the diet that your weight has been the same. Yep. Yeah. Before that, I definitely had moments where, you know, I was still trying to get that bikini ready body in six weeks. And it was I was a lot. I just looked a lot different. So Um, So interesting. But I think I think the ultimate question here, especially with this episode, is, you know, what are you willing to do in order to get to what you believe is your quote unquote ideal weight? Is all of that something that you can really maintain? And is it worth it? Does what you have to do to get there feel like a diet or does it feel like a lifestyle that you can not only keep up with, but actually enjoy? So the health at every size or haze movement is about feeling good and accepting your body where it's at and that skinny doesn't equal healthy and fat doesn't equal unhealthy. I'm not a haze practitioner, but I do agree with some of their concepts around this because I think each of us has a weight that we feel better at. But the hard part is paying attention to how you feel rather than what the number on the scale says. So maybe the problem isn't you not being able to fit into your old skinny jeans that are in your closet. Maybe it's the fact that you keep clothes around that make you feel bad about yourself and that you're not good enough right now and you need to be rem- you need a reminder of that in your closet. Throw the damn jeans out. If you mm-hmm. have things that don't make you feel good about yourself, throw them out and replace them with something that fits you perfectly now and makes you feel amazing exactly where you're at. 
So maybe you're tired of bouncing from one diet to the next. You're tired of the number on the scale meaning too much to you. You're tired of looking at food as calories and instead of nourishment for your body. Would it feel easier and healthier in the long run to just focus on learning some intuitive eating practices, learning how to listen to your body when it's saying it's hungry or full, and taking all that energy and effort that you put into dieting and focus it on learning how to love yourself where you're at, remembering that you are so much more than your weight. It's so, all of it was so good. I couldn't have said any of that better myself. Really, at the end of the day, we're not trying to discourage people from seeking health. We just want you to be able to stop and evaluate what is appropriate for you. Is weight loss something that you need or is it something you've just been told you're supposed to do? So that's all we've got for you guys today. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was helpful. We will catch you next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question for Aaron and Kyle to tackle, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for us in iTunes. Take care of you. What's that?